Happy Sunday. Sunday. Welcome, everybody. I'm grateful to be up here. Welcome, everybody who's on on the Internet, hanging with us, connecting digitally. We're glad you're here. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful to get an opportunity to to preach on the EHS. You know, we've been doing this series called Holy, and we're doing it on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. And Scott asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, bro, can you, you know, do the lesson, preach on chapter five. And I was like, yeah, okay. Then I got to chapter five and I went, oh, you dirty dog. <laughs> and I even texted him and said, hey, thanks a lot, I think. Because it's a tough chapter. And um, I don't know if you've been following along or not. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely like, if, if you haven't been reading the book and you're just here for the sermon, we're glad you're here. We hope you get some goodness out of it. It is kind of a whole package, though. It kind of helps if you are reading along with us. So, you know, I would just encourage that. It'll help your experience because it's just, I don't know, I've had a hard time getting my arms around this material. It's so deep. Like, and uh, I thought I'd do a little recap today just because I feel like I need it and maybe you do where we've come from because we're on chapter five of this book. And I'm going to do the recap in my own words. So, um,. I don't know, I was kind of thinking, like, what's my, what is my definition of emotional health? I don't know if this is what uh, Peter's definition would be or yours would be, but I kind of wrote down, being okay and good with the feelings, thoughts, and emotion going on inside of me, whether from the past, the present, or the future. I feel like if I could get all that, I'd be pretty, I'd be, I'd like to move that direction. I don't know if I'm going to get it all, but that's the direction I'd like to get to in my life. So, so here's my little recap for you. So I thought the first chapter was, oh, name of our lesson today, Enlarge Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. Aren't you excited? (laughs) It's a big one, actually. It's really good. I mean, this is good stuff, to be honest. It's just not our normal way um, to embrace tough things, right? And that's kind of a cultural thing, and I'll talk about that a little bit today. Okay, so, all right. Chapter one, or, uh, chapter one was the problem with unhealthy emotional spirituality. So the idea was that if you, you, can, you can have Christian spirituality, but if you don't integrate it with emotional health, there can be a lot of problems. You know, you get saved and you, you love God and you learn to follow Jesus, but there's still a lot of stuff going on inside of you. And you just, I don't know, sometimes there can be this temptation to go, all right, Jesus saved me, I'm just going to move on and just go forward into this new life with Jesus. But you, you take yourself with you, right? What, what you had before still goes with you um, into your Christianity. So there's a little bit of problem there. You've got to integrate the two, yeah. all right? Um, two, chapter two was know yourself that you may know God. Uh, I, man, Aaron did such a good job on this chapter. It was really encouraging. If you haven't got a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to it. But basically, the, the, the recap is being aware of yourself and what's going on inside of each of you is intricately linked to your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say, like, you know, if you're running around, like, if you've got issues like I do with shame, don't tell me that doesn't mess with your relationship with God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or if you have this feeling of that you deserve certain things to happen in your life, whether good or bad, that will mess with your relationship with God for sure and how you see him. So there is definitely, you gotta kind of got to know what's driving you, and that really keys into your relationship with God. 
I, I, I do think, I just got to say, I think there's a lot of wisdom. Just spend a lot of time with God, look at God, get to know God, love God, be in his presence, and that will transform you. But I don't think that's the whole story. You got to do some work on you too. And honestly, spending time with God, he, he will partner with you and help you do some work on you, right? Yeah. So, all right. Chapter three was going back in order to go forward. And um, so I, wrote, I, I thought like emotional health and spirituality require us to go back and look at some realities of our past before we can live joyfully in the present. Do we want to live joyfully in the present? Yes. yes. Do we want to live boldly into the future? Yes. yes. But that means sometimes we've got to go back and look at some stuff. Yeah. And we can be adverse to that. There's some scary stuff in there, right? And then chapter four, the journey through the wall. Roy, this is a this is a tough concept to really to get a, get your arms around a little bit. This is all I'm gonna say. This emotionally healthy spirituality, I'm gonna call it EMS. It's a journey. You got to get on the journey. You got to get on the bus. You got to go on the ride here. On that journey, you will encounter spiritual and emotional struggles that you must go through in order to grow and be transformed. We want to grow, don't we? We want to be transformed. Some transformation and some growth requires that we go through some difficulties to achieve it, especially the deeper levels. Like the surf, the more, and not that any growth is good, you know, but some of the harder stuff requires you got to go through some things. So we cannot revert to unhealthy coping mechanisms to try to avoid or ignore these times in our life. I don't know if you can each think of a time where you've hit the wall in your life where it just was a really a struggle, probably a few of those times. The, 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 the message that we're trying to learn here is you can't go around it, you can't ignore it, you can't go over it, you can't dig your way under it, although we try, you've got to go through it. That's what God wants you to do. He wants to go through it with you, go through the wall, and that was, that was chapter four. And then over all of this, you get, you get this concept of contemplative spirituality. Have you heard that term, contemplative spirituality? I feel like for me, this concept is over it all. Like he's integrated it. It's not, it's like something that weaves through every part of this journey that we're on as we're reading this book together. So it's this idea that if we just slow down and focus on being with God as opposed to doing for God, or always focus on fixing ourselves or others. Sometimes when you don't want to fix yourself, easy to fix other people. Except for it's not easy, is it? You do end up with less friends, though. But if you do, if you slow down and spend some time with God, God will use your relationship with him to guide you and heal you. And I feel like that's the daily office. A lot of these concepts that we're talking about, uh, they get talked about a lot. You might hear them mentioned. So, you know, there's my recap for you. So that brings us to chapter 3, which is um, enlarging... No, I'm going to go back. I wasn't ready yet. So i got to give Josh a shout-out because I'm the worst part of this lesson when Scott asked me to do that was the slideshow. That was like the most stressful part for me. So I, um, I got Josh to help me. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. And he is he's just a serving brother, right? That brother is serving, right? I mean, you just ask him to do stuff, and he's like all about it, super great. I asked him to change some things. I just really appreciate you, Josh. And he's hiding back there because he doesn't take a lot of encouragement that way. But you've got to take it in, Josh. 
Take it in. We love you, brother. You make a difference in this church. All right. So um, I wanted to say, though, as we get started, trying to avoid um, painful emotions, which is what we're going to talk about today, is very normal human behavior. Right? You don't stick your hand back in the fire after it's been burned, right? Um, But I want to say this. I feel like there's a real fear of the rabbit hole when you start talking about this stuff. And what I mean by that is that if we let our negative feelings surface too much, they will swallow us up. And we're doing our best to just keep them at bay. And, you know, over this, this is kind of some deep emotional stuff and mental stuff right here as we talk about So I just want to really say that I am not telling you exactly how you need to deal with your emotions. Each one of us are individuals. And we, you need to know the freedom of dealing with your stuff in an individual way. And you probably don't need another person telling you how to fix you. All right? But there is some general concepts here that I think can really help. And I feel like the rabbit holes is something that we can feel like. I don't want to, get, I don't want to open up this can of worms. You know, I'm afraid what I'm going to find in that closet once I start digging around in the backpack in there. I think you mix with that our modern culture. Our modern culture is adverse to the hard parts of life. It makes people uncomfortable. We don't know what to say, right? And, and honestly, you know the reality when somebody's going through some pain, you're not really supposed to, you're not really, you don't really have to say anything. You just have to care. But we've been trained that we need to have answers. We need to be able to fix people. We need to be the rescuer. Instead of just being in people's presence as they're going through pain. And since most of us don't have the ability to think on our feet that quick, we're going to get uncomfortable when people are in pain around us. And that's kind of our culture. And I was thinking like, you know, we don't like downers. We only want good times and happiness. I was thinking, how many commercials have you seen for pain and grief? None. Our advertising culture. We see some movies. There are some movies, right, that are tough. I tend to go to, to James Bond movies above the pain and grief movies. I mean, there is pain and grief in a James Bond movie, but it's different. Right? I am disappointed by the last James Bond movie. I just want you to know. I'm grieving. It's a good movie. Go see it. But I will not ruin it for you. Um, So anyway, uh, most people, including me, try to cover our negative emotions by denying. How about that it's no big deal statement? I probably said it's no big deal and heard people say it's no big deal to things that honestly are big deals. You know, we need permission to acknowledge that some things are a big deal. You know, as we, as we talk about it, I'm not saying everything in life is, is trauma, but there's enough of it that this stuff applies. You know, when we go through hard things, just saying it's no big deal is not always that helpful. We try to, we try to move through stuff too quickly. How about this? Have you ever felt like it's not socially acceptable to spend too long? All right, you can grieve and you can be sad, but only for a certain period of time. How long is that time? I don't know. I got some internal clock in my head that tells me when I'm making, when I've, been sad too long, right? Occasionally someone will tell me I've been sad too long. But, you know, we try to get through stuff. All right, it's, it's like America. It's a get-it-done culture, right? So our Western culture. So even grief, okay, we're going to have some grief, but it needs to be done so we can move on from there. I don't think that's a good thing, you guys. I think we can use busyness to keep feelings at bay. I've experienced that a lot, and I have a loved one that does that. Works constantly 
to avoid some difficult emotions that are being struggled with there. And then we've got all sorts of addictive behaviors. We talk about those in church all the time, right? Those are bad. Those are sin, and they are. But there's also an element where those are being used to avoid some stuff that's going on inside of us, right? I told you it was a happy lesson. (laughs) I was looking for all these little memes, like baby memes and jokes to try to liven it up. It just didn't feel right, so I'm just like, I'm just going with it. On top of all that is our Christian culture. We're a little guilty of not being the best place to grieve. Probably should be the best place to be, right? But has, here's my question, has Christianity encouraged avoidance of deep and difficult feelings that we struggle with in times of grief and loss? We try to have all the answers, don't we? Especially when I was a young Christian, I thought I had a lot of answers, and I was quick to give them out. I was a Pez dispenser for answers. (laughs) Come here, brother. Let me love you. (laughs) Out it would come. Well, you know, here's Satan. Satan loves to use your humility, and he loves to use your heart to help people against you. He does. I'm not saying you shouldn't be humble, and you absolutely should help people. But there's a wisdom to way to do it, you know. Sometimes you're helping people more about you than it is about them. And that can be a challenging thing, right? So we try to have all the answers. We got a scripture to fix everything. Man, there's a lot of... The, the Bible is a package. We're going to talk about this today. It's a big package. And you can't cherry pick out a thing here and a thing there because it gives you an answer so that you can feel okay about something. It's got to be taken together in context. All right? We've got to watch out for it. We've got a church full of people so eager to help that they will fill you in on what God is doing. I don't think there's anything wrong saying that God works for the good in all things. I, I, I think that's a great scripture. Got to be careful how quick we, we go there, though. Like, sometimes people going through stuff need to figure that out with a little bit of help. But being told early in the process that something very difficult can be a really challenging thing. Yeah. And I just think, you know, these are things to think about. So, um, and then you've got to mention the concepts of, of being joyful always, which I like. I like being joyful. And sometimes I'm grumpy and I do need to re- just repent. That's the thing. And get back to being joyful. But that's not always. And then how about the peace that passes understanding? It's just, that's not been my normal traveling companion. And I don't think my mind of what I thought the peace that passes understanding was when I read the scriptures and when I'm learning it really is, they're different. They're more, the peace, really, I think that is more broad. So you take these concepts and in Christianity, if they're not understood in the full context of scripture and God's will, we can get off balance. All right. The other thing I think we need to recognize, and I think this is important, is that when children go through trauma, it's very normative for them to block out abuse. That's normal childhood behavior. And um, it's a natural way and it's appropriate for a child facing difficult circumstances. But this is the thing that challenged me. I'm an adult. Am I still blocking? You know, you learn those patterns when you're a kid, right? And then you take them, this book's teaching us, we take that stuff into adulthood. And I'm like, hmm, 
I wonder if I'm still using some childhood defenses now because emotional maturity for me is facing and processing. Facing and processing. So here's my question. Here's my slide. I'm starting to have some pain there. Regarding loss and pain, turn towards or avoid? Um, Again, I'm not pushing masochism here. We don't want to just love pain. But pain is a natural traveling companion in this life. When we do encounter it, should we turn towards it or avoid it? And those are pro- that's probably a long-term thought. Like, I'm not saying the moment something happens. I'm saying in the big picture as you go through your life and you deal with some situations in your life. I've got a scripture, Luke 9, 51. Luke 9 here. I thought this was inappropriate. Okay, my name is Darren. I know it's a heavy topic, but if you want to throw some encouragement at me, I will will take it. Uh, Some head noddings, if you like a point, and mm -hmm, that helps your preachers, all of them. Okay? The the look on your face of disbelief while they preach a lesson, like, I can't believe you're saying that. (laughs) That does not get you a better sermon. I mean, you guys know that, right? Your preachers, they feed off of you. So when you guys are tuned in, you help them. You get more out of them. All right? It's a little thought there. Um, Luke 9, 51. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I just thought that scripture kind of applied to the turning towards the difficulty. You know, I mean, Jesus did. He turned towards. I mean, what was he turning towards in Jerusalem? Some good things, but a lot of the end, right? A lot of difficulties for him and the ones he loved. And so I just see that scripture as a way of him turning in to the things that he needed to do. And I'm pretty sure we can say Jesus was uh, pretty emotionally healthy, right? So why talk about and face all this stuff? Because loss, limits, and grief. I kind of feel like limits, and and I'm not going to talk a ton about limits today. Limits are these things that you run into life where you find out you can't be the astronaut, Johnny. You can't have everything you wanted it. Your your family didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Or your kid, or your relationship, or your church, or your country, or your whatever. Your job, your hopes and dreams that we all have didn't quite turn out that way. Um, Limits are, there's a lot more to limits. But I feel like when we realize, when we face our limits, that's when we encounter loss. And when we encounter loss, grief is the natural part of what comes next, and that's a big part of life. This book talks, uses the book of Job, which I generally, kind of hard to do a lesson out of the book of Job. Let's go to Job chapter 1 if you don't mind. All right, so Job was a really rich dude, had it going on, and very spiritual, very spiritual guy, had a beautiful family, everybody was all together, he was very respected, he was very loved, very wealthy, very spiritual, walked with God, 
There's a lot more to the book of Job than the part we're going to touch on today. But what's really interesting about Job is Job's story is so shocking because he lost in one day what most of us go through life losing over a period of 60 or 70 years. He lost it all at once. All right? And so let's start in verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Okay, so I look at this, and I'm like trying to put this in my life. I'm like, this is like losing your business right here. And your team members, or your employees, or your guys, the people that... There's, there's more to it than just the physical, material things. There's the people that are involved, right? He lost his business right here. And I don't know if you ever had one of these days. It's just like the day from H-E double hockey sticks. This is one of those days, right? While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the service. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Well, apparently, Job was diversified. Sheeps, camels, and donkeys. Had them all spread out. You know, that's how you minimize risk, right? Sometimes trouble finds you. I don't care how diversified you are. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, still another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and made off of them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. So I was thinking, all right, he lost a third of his business. All right, I still got two-thirds. Lost two-thirds of this. All right, I still got this left. No, complete and utter loss of everything, right? Well, And if that wasn't enough, verse 18, while I was still speaking, yet another messenger came. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're dead. I read through my Bible really fast. Sometimes when you hit that, you should probably just, Stop. Let that sink in. They're dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job up got, got up, tore his robe, shaved, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. In the name of the Lord, be praised. And all this, Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. You know, these are Job's losses. And we read this so we can think about ours today. Okay? Maybe don't want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It's going to be harder not to as I start talking about more. (laughs) You know, I don't know what your losses are. But there's a lot of losses we face in this life. And I kind of was hitting on a little bit. How about getting older? You use your your, your, your youth. Your health. It goes. And it's hard when you're older and you watch people around you's health go. Right? Um, I was thinking a lot, and I just want to say this. I think it's been a really difficult couple of years with COVID and everything that's gone on. In our churches, in our country, just in the world. It's just been, it's been very stressful. I mean, have you guys seen the amount of, like, fights on airplanes and stuff like that? I mean, that's not normal behavior. Why is that? Because people are losing things. They're stressing out. There's a lot of stress. 
I'm going to put all that into our stability. We lose our stability at different times in our lives. We lose our reputations. I remember when um, the Great Recession hit, and I was rolling fat. And we managed to tread water all the way till about 11 or 12. And pretty soon I was driving, you know, a 20-year-old truck with a big dent in the door. And I was supposed to be this big G-Wiz contractor. You know, you just, these things happen in life, right? We lose our jobs. Sometimes our money, Nikki used to joke about money, it just flies away. You know, our finances. I still don't think she's sure we're going to have money when we get old. (laughs) Because she's seen it disappear so many times. Our loved ones. I don't know how many funerals I've been to in the last couple years. I just went to Rusty's. And I'm glad I went. I'm glad. When I was younger, I was like, I ain't going to those things. I, I know what I was doing. I was avoiding. But I think now it's much better to go and engage in the process for me personally. Our friends pass. I had a relationship dump me this year and move on like nothing ever happened and would not return my phone call. Somebody I was really close to. That stuff happens. That's loss, you guys. That needs to be grieved. All right? Eventually we'll all die, and that is the eventual loss and limit for everyone. Like I said, we lose our dreams at some point. We find out we can't do it all. We, we realize we can't fix people. We try and try for years. And one day you wake up and you realize, hmm, I am, actually can't. And the, actually, when you first realize that, you just stop trying to fix people, which is not what you should do. Because then you need to get back to a place where you get back to helping people. But realizing that each has got to deal with his own path. Right? Um, we face the reality of our illusions about ourselves. We thought, things we thought about ourselves that we face are not real. We find out the illusions we had about other people. Thought they were better than they were, right? Maybe they weren't. Maybe they aren't as bad as you think. Maybe you just had too much of you in them. I think I did that sometimes. Um, How about organizations let you down? Did you realize the church isn't perfect? You know, we did advertise that we were for a while there, in my humble opinion. And I think the reality has set in. And there's some discouragement there. And that's, a, that's something that needs to be grieved. It needs to be processed. Right? We look at Job, and we see that he trusted through it. You know what happens in chapter 2? It gets better. He loses his health, right? He gets sores, if you've read, Right? And then the creme de la creme, his wife, we think, it looks like he lost his marriage because she told him, you're foolish. You should just curse God and die right now. I would assume she turned around and walked off after she said that. Yeah, so it was a huge loss. So we see all this goes on, but you know what is funny about the book of Job, you guys? That's chapter two. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. Why are those chapters there? It's, I think it's about the processing part. It really is, and that's what I want to talk about. What goes on that can help us? And I would say that Job was probably pretty solid emotionally, right? He was spiritually solid. It says, look, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing, and he worshipped, and he just, I mean, Job's so awesome, right? And then we read chapter 3, verse 1. 
After this, you opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. There's a switch for you. So was he all good over here and all bad over there? Or is all this part of the same journey? All right. Is it okay what Job did right there? I want to read through um, verse 10. It says, he said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said I, a boy is conceived. That's a joyful statement, right? That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. He's talking about the day of his birth. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. I think the guy's regretting he was born here. He's in so much pain and loss that he's regretting the day he is born. Is he? I'll leave this up to you to decide. I'm not trying to get super theological here. But he's voicing some feelings right now. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not, sh- did not shut the doors of the womb on me and hide trouble from my eyes. I don't know, I kind of have a feeling what's going on here, but this is what I will say. Job let it out. All he was feeling in explicit terms. That's pretty explicit, isn't it? He goes on to question and doubt and complain until chapter 38. There's 38 chapters of this. There's a lot of those chapters are the three miserable friends trying to correct him, right? But ultimately, he goes on for a long time in lament and metaphor about how much pain he's in in this process. And God says, not a whit, till chapter 38. God let him. God wrote it down. God put it in the Bible for all of us for it to be in there. What is quite recorded, quite a bit, are a bunch of friends who try to shut him up with their spiritual rationalizations and all their spiritual answers. They don't come off looking too good at the end of the book of Job, if, you're cor- if you know correctly, if you read the book. Because when God corrects people at the end, he does correct Job with his power. But the real correction is the, three, is the friends, right? I just want to talk about how metaphor is so important in expressing your emotions. It's not enough to just state your feelings. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm depressed. You can say that. And I'm not trying to to criticize anybody who shares that way. I'm trying to state, you can say, we we love information. And sometimes we've got to get right to the point and concisely state how we're feeling. You know, the Bible doesn't do that. The book of Job is not doing that. Most of the Psalms are not doing that. All that poetry in there is all this metaphor that is there to give voice to your emotions in a way that emotionally connects you with them and with others. There's a lot of words in here. You know, when he says, may gloom and other darkness claim it once more. 
He could have just said, I wish that day never happened. We could knock ten verses out of the Bible. Why are these ten verses in there? Because he's emotionally processing what's going on inside of him through metaphor. The Bible's full of metaphor. We need to know that as Christians. It is loaded down. We use metaphor in our language today. Have you ever said, like, I feel like someone stuck a knife in my back? Come on. Oh, there it is. I'm losing the, I'm losing the power here. I feel like someone stuck a knife in my back and twisted it. You got a hole in your back? I need to see some stitches back there. Why did you say that? You're expressing your feelings, you guys. You're giving voice to how you felt by someone who betrayed you. And that's your using metaphor to do that. We do it all the time. How about um, they're pouring salt on my wound? Has anyone had salt poured on their wound? Had some weird grandma thing? (laughs) Anybody in here? I see a show of hands. Really? I was, I was iodine in my house. You would run around with little orange. Maybe it was mercurochrome. I can't remember. I was too young. But you, you got an alley. It got this stuff put on it. I think it actually helped, although no one uses it anymore. And there is a slight glow when you turn off the lights in me. But no one pours salt on wounds. That's, that means that you're hurting and somebody's making it worse. We say that to emotionally connect how we're feeling by using language. And it's an important thing to do. The Bible does it all the time. I feel like my heart has been ripped out of my chest. I've said that several times in my life, and it has felt like that has. I have never had my heart ripped out of my chest. I don't really know what that feels like. But I know what it feels like to lose someone or to be in a really tough situation. And just saying, I'm sad, my friendship's over. I'm sad, my relationship is over. Yeah, is that truthful? Does that communicate? Does that get it done? Yes, it does. Does that help you process? No, it doesn't. Job is processing. He's just, this, these verses are just on the day he was born. Wait till he gets started on other stuff in his life. All right? I think we need to keep this in mind so we're not overly literal in our interpretation of some of the scriptures. There's a lot of scriptures we need to be literal about. But the metaphor, you need to understand this metaphor and not just get hung up on the theology, but realize, hey, that's there to help me. You get into some of those psalms, they're using metaphor to get the emotions connected. And we, need to, we can use them to do the same thing. I think that could be part of our journey of going through grief and loss. All right? It could help us. Like, when you tell me I need to process my grief, I need to process my loss, I don't know how to do it. But that helps me. I can sit there and say some things that kind of help me get these emotions out. Because I not only just need to say these, I need to say them to somebody that actually understands it. You know, I need to be able to say this to my wife or say this to a friend. And they go, yeah, I know how that feels. I am so sorry. Or just, mm, I'm going to hug. We need, we need to voice our feelings and have someone hear them. It's really tough when you've got a lot of feelings and nobody's listening. And Satan will try to get you to keep your mouth shut. Just because you found somebody out there was a bad listener doesn't mean there are another good ones. Right? All right, I'm going to give you this scripture real quick. Let's go to Lamentations 3. I 
I just picked these out because, you know, Lamentations is, is it's the lament of having lost the city of Jerusalem. It's the lament of sitting in Babylon in another culture. You think our culture has been upheaval. How would you like if somebody came in and rounded us all up and took us halfway around the world into a place we've never been before? And it's the lament of realizing, oh, I got far away from God, and that's partially why I'm here. There's nothing wrong with realizing that and grieving if, there, if that's part of the story. But that's what Lamentations is. And um, what's really interesting about, um, about the lament is there's always a little bit of hope mixed in here. Okay. Where are we at? Verse 7. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Who's he talking about? Who's the he? He's talking about God right here. Right? Has God walled him in so he can't escape? This is actually a, probably a woman talking here. There's several voices in Lamentations. Has he, weighed, has he literally tied chains on her so she couldn't run away when the people came to take over the city? No. Why does she say that? Because that's how it feels. That's how it feels when these things are happening to us. Is he not hearing the prayer because his arms are too short? Right? Yeah. No, he hears. But that's how it feels. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. See all that metaphor in there, you guys? Yeah. See it all? He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. Does God do that? No. Is that how it feels in that circumstance? Yes. I know I'm, I'm pushing on this point a bunch. How you want to apply this to your life is on you. But the idea is to talk about a few things in a safe way at your time and in your space. And you can use the scriptures to kickstart you. Because the funny thing about God, he knew what you needed. And it's in the Bible. All right? I'm going to just stop right here. So here's the practical steps, because you've got to have practicals. You're going to talk about this, right? I don't want to leave you out there in the wind too much. And the book gives us good practicals. All right. Give attention to your emotions and acknowledge your painful feelings. Don't stuff is what that says, right? But there's more to not stuffing. Give attention to your emotions. When you're feeling stuff, ask yourself about them. Ask God about them. Think about them. Process them. And acknowledge when you're hurting. You're not supposed to be the world's toughest dude. You're just not. Really, comparison to God, you're a little baby. Right? He's not expecting perfection of you anymore than you would expect perfection of your two-year-old. It's actually really unhealthy when you try to handle things this way without acknowledging and without paying attention to how you're feeling. Because the bottom line, all this stuff's going to leak out somewhere else if we don't process it, right? Mm-hmm. However that needs to happen, do you lean into? Stuff is going to happen inside of you either towards health and surrender or towards things that come out, the other things that come out when we don't process. I think it's important to remember. I'm not trying to threaten anybody or push you into this. I just want to acknowledge that if you don't process well, it'll come out in other ways. Yeah. All right? And we've seen it in ourselves, and we've seen it in others. And God's gracious, and people are, and we work about it, but 
wholesale, wholesale avoiding, avoidance of pain is going to result in some bad things. Give yourself another's time. Ooh, this is not good in our Western culture. Don't try to hurry yourself or others. Sometimes we think a big dose of truth will fix it. Job's friends tried it, right? They tried the big dose of truth on Job, and they got rebuked by God. I'm not saying there's not a place for truth, but just that mindset. We gotta, we gotta, we we gotta try to not hurry ourselves and not hurry others. I think there's a point where people can be stuck, and we're taking too long, and somebody needs to go in there and have that loving conversation. Those are rare, though, probably, right? That shouldn't be your normal process, the, the, the boot in the rear end method of getting people moving. That should be really, I think, not very often. Yeah. Time means we, neither patiently, we patiently neither try to ignore or quickly correct a problem. Or, or, the right path is probably to neither ignore or quickly correct. We don't want to ignore it, and we don't want to try to correct it. There's somewhere in there in the middle is the right path. We've got to be balanced, right? Job is 42 chapters. God doesn't say anything until chapter 38. There's a message there for all of us. And his friends were pretty cause and effect people in their theology. I like cause and effect theology, right? The Bible calls it reaping and sowing. I'm, I'm a big fan of reaping and sowing. You do reap what you sow. That is not 100% of what's going on in our lives. It's an important thing, and if you're ignoring it, that's bad news. But Job's friends were pretty much reaping and sowing if you get into the book of Job all the way. And they got, they got into some trouble with God over that, and they were, they were not very helpful. Um, and I think you not only keep that in mind, that basically means this is bad thing is happening to me because I did this bad thing over here. Or this bad thing is happening because I didn't do this good thing over here that I was supposed to do. You need to keep that in mind for other people, but probably really for you. Right? Because I don't know about you, I can be quick to condemn when bad things happen to me that it's something that I've done or not done. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a worthy question. But funny how it turns out to be 100% of the time I think it is, and I don't think it's, it is. Right? There's a lot more going on here. Number three, work towards acceptance. This is realizing and accepting our limits. Acceptance, that's a big word. A lot of teaching on that. I'm just thinking it's getting to the point where I realize that the limits that are in my life, the things that didn't work out, or the things that I'm going to just have to go this far and no forward are, and no further on, that I can just trust God in that. The first limit we've got to accept is that we do not know and understand all that God is doing or doing going on. That's the first thing you got to accept. You do not know all that God is doing. You do not know all that's going on. And that's a good one to accept. Acceptance is taking what we had hoped would be, and I'm going to steal a word here, and faithing what actually is. Faithing actually all the way it isn't like going, oh, this will be better. Maybe it will be. I've had quite a few things that were pretty discouraging turned out a lot better, and that's God, and we love those stories. I don't want to keep hearing those. If you have one, don't be afraid to share them. But a lot of times what I realize in my life, what I hope for, is just it's just not going to happen, and I just have to wrestle with that. But faithing it is accepting what the reality is, 
and accepting and trusting that God does all of it in his great love for us. Your limits, God loves you. God didn't put limits on you because he's mad at you. He put limits on you because we're not the center of the universe. He is. And he loves us. Keeping, And then I think the other thing we've got to keep in mind, and I, this is as I get older, one day our journey will end. I've watched a lot of people's journeys end in the last few years. And I'm, I'm trying to deal with the fact that one day you guys will watch mine end. And getting to that point. And then finally, turn to trust. Last point. Turn to trust. I think that probably is the same as point three, really. <laughs> but it's a move from give me, Lord. Give me, Lord. Give me, Lord. I want this. I want that. I should be able to do this. These people should be that way. This organization should be the shoulds that didn't turn out. Two, God, you know what's best for me. And your love does not depend and your love does not end on my pain. And that's, these, are, these are tough things. Like I'm, I know I'm throwing a bunch, of, a bunch of stuff out there for you guys right now. So anyway, I hope this kind of helps you process. As I, I just think as, we think about, as we think about communion right now, I feel like Jesus, we can kind of see him going through this stuff. I mean, he cried out some stuff, didn't he? Some sadness and some pain. He processed and he went forward and trusted that God was good. And I just think as we uh, take communion today, I don't know, ask God to, you know, maybe pray, God, help me on this journey. Know that Jesus died for me because you love me that much. And if you want me to process some tough stuff, you're going to help me to do it. Let's pray. All right, Father, thank you so much um, for our time together. I'm grateful to be able to get to speak on this topic. God, I know it's been good for me, but we just really pray as we take the bread and the juice right now that we see a Jesus who loves us and who turned towards the pain because he loved us to forgive us, to let us know that he is with us, that he wants us to be with him. And that, God, as we face difficult things in our life, that you are going to be there every step of the way with us. I'm super grateful for my brothers and sisters and our chance to be together today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.